Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm an engineer. And I'm Mac, a history teacher. Welcome to Civics on the Rocks, the once-a-month podcast out of Texas. In this podcast, we, along with our producer Anne, Hello. Talk about politics, history, and science. And science fiction. We're also drinking. Yes, lots of drinking and bad jokes. Not distasteful, just poor quality. Okay, let's get started. The question of the day, who polices the police? The police do. Well, that's the reality, isn't it? Which is also like no one. uh, Yeah. So for for the the first half of my teaching career in teaching government classes, which I've taught more than any other subject, I would always begin with the question, you know, who is to guard the guards themselves? Which who polices the police? comes from the Roman poet Juvenal, quis custodia ipsos custodes. But it was from something, a comedy. It doesn't have anything to do with government, but people use it all the time. You know, Alan, what's his name? Put it in the Watchmen. Uh, what? It's a good and, statement. It's yeah. a no, but it's it's an important question. So, like, if, if we're, a, you know, a country, free republic, representative government, but you have people who enforce the law, who are in the world of the executive, um, who effectively keeps an eye on them. Frame that way, I'm going to say that it is we the people who police the police. <laughs> I'm going to push back on that well, one. Well, <laughs> let, let me finish because that's that's deeply flawed. Because that's what the police do. Yeah, yeah, really. like that guy that cracked his head open because they so. just shoved him. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, I'm going to say we do. So, for example, take a city police force. They do have something that's a problem. Who are they ultimately accountable to? Well, the police chief, who's in theory accountable to the mayor, who's accountable politically to the people who voted the mayor in. So if, if the people have a problem with the police, they can, in theory, vote the mayor out and express their concerns. Now, the problem with that is it's way too removed and way too after the fact and way too attenuated. So yes, while ultimate accountability might be the people through elected officials who oversee the police, it's not working. Well, and think, think about New York City with some of the policies the, the city wanted to do and, and like taking some funds away or, or passing new ordinances about what the police could and couldn't do. And then all of a sudden you hear these stories of, you know, NYPD, you know, not, you know, not arresting people that were breaking and entering, not arresting people that are doing this because they're like, oh, it's new policies, we can't do it anymore. And it's like, bullshit. You're just doing that to get people to think. You know, so that you'll get people to put pressure on the mayor and the city government to, to you know, jack the NYPD budget back up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, <laughs> people should read or listen to anything that Frank Serpico has done because that's and if you don't know kids, there is even a movie about him. He's still alive. At least I think he is. Um, and yeah, the the. So there are federal agents, Border Patrol, down on the Texas border with Mexico, including in Eagle Pass. There's a park in Eagle Pass. I don't remember the name of the park. Um, where, you know, Border Patrol were pretty much operating because that was, it was that park borders the river, the Rio Grande, and, and it was through there that a lot of people were entering illegally. And what Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott, did is he ordered the Texas National Guard to occupy the park and, and sort of you know, shoulder the border patrol out of the way. Now, obviously, this is going to be a federalism issue, and I'm pretty sure the Biden administration is probably going to, you know, take this to court, and we'll see what happens. But 
in the aftermath of Texas National Guard showing up in the park in order to arrest people coming across the border, instead of Border Patrol, which are federal agents, immigration being a, a federal power, the union for Border Patrol agents publicly supported Greg Abbott. Really? Yeah. So figure that one well, out. Well, I was going to have a question about the National Guard was arresting people? Mm-hmm. I didn't think well, they, they, can, they can detain, you know, uh, and, and turn them over to state police. But the thing is, part, part of this, for those of you that don't know, the Texas legislature in the last legislative session, which was last spring, passed a law about, you know, we, like state police can arrest um, people who they suspect are here illegally. There's also issues with that because mm-hmm. um, they're not going to be pulling over people that look like me or you. Um, Just in case you were wondering, they're both white guys. Like like yeah. shiny white. Yep. Like, I, too, am very shiny white. Yeah. Um, we're not the ones that get pulled over. We're not no, the we're ones not, that get pulled no. over. And... Um, so the law authorizes state law enforcement to arrest and detain these people. So, and that, that's going to get challenged too, by the way, I think that's in the process of getting challenged. And so Texas national guard can like apprehend these people and turn them over to DPS. So I'm going to only tangentially relate to that because I used to work in Eagle pass. We had projects down there. And so I, I visited Eagle pass regularly for work and one thing that people who do not live near the border may not understand is that effectively the the border area is sort of a quasi zone yeah because driving toward the border about you know 30 40 miles away from the border there's a border patrol checkpoint on a highway somewhere in the middle of nowhere where you have to on the way to the border you're fine but when you leave the border you have to stop there yeah. And a friendly border patrol agent will ask you questions that you have to answer before you're allowed to continue. Yeah. And in theory, they are only supposed to ask you, are you a U.S. citizen? And if you say yes, you go on your way. But really, most of them don't adhere to that training. No. And are far more of not far more invasive in the questions. Not overly so, but they'll, hey, so where are you coming from? Where are you going? You know, trying to figure out if you're legit or if you're smuggling anything. They check a look in your car through the windows. That always griped my hide every single time I freaking had to stop and it's it's an odd thing that it's almost treated like that that buffer on the border is not really the US it's like some sort of second class area yeah that, it's like the neutral zone yeah the, yeah it's yeah I don't it's like weird that. who polices the police technically the police are supposed to police themselves right they've got their whole little group that does that in theory. According to, you know, lethal weapon movies. Um, and then... Oh, yes. Internal affairs. Yeah. Yes. And then, okay, we as the voter can police the police by voting in the people who actually and make decisions for the police force. oversight boards. So here's kind of a spin on the question then. Mm-hmm. Who punishes the police that did bad behavior? Well, we can talk about the, the possible things that can happen. So sometimes there's like a, an internal punishment, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, a suspension without pay or things like that that can happen. Um, but if you, if you have a situation where a police officer did something where they, they caused harm to a civilian 
innocent civilian, a civilian that should should not have been harmed. I, I'm gonna uh, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're allowed to harm the uninnocent ones. We want yes. them shooting criminals no, in the street. I didn't say we. We want them, them to beat to death someone just because our, they broke the law. There, there's two things there that you mentioned. Do we want them to do that? And are they allowed to do that? Are they allowed to do that? Yes, they are. Do we want them to do that? Uh, not necessarily. I, I would like to state for the record that I do not want them to do that. Yeah. So they, if you have a situation where a police officer acted in some way that they caused harm to a civilian or even death to a civilian, and it seemed like gross wrongdoing, like someone unarmed that they shoot in the back because they could have had a gun. If you they know? shoot him unarmed in the front, is it cool? <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, I mean that that's a problem too. And you and you hear stories of, of police officers. Well, you don't hear stories, and I don't want to say this is like oh, you know, you watch word news of mouth. stories. Yeah, yeah no, the, on these, a fairly are, regular these are events basis? that happen. There are reports um, of, yeah. Or, you know, they, they they did a search in the wrong house and, and somebody reacted badly because they don't because somebody's breaking into their house and so then the police shoot the person and kill them. Mm -hmm. And that's they have what's called qualified immunity. Ah, oh, dang it! I was going to go there first. Fine. So, do well now. Let me ask: Do we want? Should I explain what sovereign immunity is? Because that's where this comes from. Yeah, I want you to yeah. okay, break it down in detail so, for the folks at home. Sovereign immunity. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that the federal government or any level of government has sovereign immunity. It's a common law concept. But like With many those, common so law cons in, in Britain before there yes. was in America that was carried forward. And so like several common law concepts that weren't written into the Constitution, the Supreme Court in different times in different cases has said, no, this is a thing because they would have understood it to be a thing under the law at the time. And one of these things is sovereign yep. immunity. And it shows up in different ways, including like the, well, the f American federalism, sovereignty within sovereignty, that there's some things that, that states have some in integrity unto themselves that the federal government can't violate. But when, it, when we're coming down to police, where we're, whether we're talking about county sheriffs, state police, city police, um, there's immunity there because they're the state. And what sovereign immunity means in terms of the justice system, among other things, you cannot sue the state. You cannot bring a case against the state unless it's something the state lets you sue it for. Now, some of you out there may be thinking, that's bullshit. That's just mm -hmm. wrong. That is a No, there is a federal tort claims act. Tort in this case not being the dessert, but you know, injury causing not harm to somebody. Not being tasty, delicious at all. No, not at all. It is it is a, a medieval French word from which we, the word torture comes from. So yeah, no, not the dessert. Um, well, except, never mind. Um, so... Stay focused, man. Stay focused. <laughs> sorry, my apologies. Um, so there's a Federal Tort Claims Act that says, here are things you can sue the federal government for. Most states, if not all, I mean, I haven't checked all 50, there, there's a state tort claims act that says this is what you can sue the state for. The federal government, by default, can't be sued for things except things under the federal tort claims act where they have allowed themselves to be sued. And Correct. Similarly, the states have also the same. deigned to allow themselves to be sued, sued over certain limited things. Yeah. Now, there, there are... 
So one, one big exception is actually the area of civil rights because the federal government in the course of, we'll say, in enforcing 13th, 14th, 15th amendments, they will allow someone to sue a state or your local government on, under the theory that they violated your civil rights that you can sue them in federal court as opposed to having to sue them in state court under your state tort claims act. So that, that is a, that's kind of a significant exception. Um, so, but yeah, so that, that's where sovereign immunity shows up, but it also shows up in what accountability do the police have? Mm -hmm. And so if it's like, well, you know, I shot at that person. I thought they had a gun. I th you know, they're, they're going to be protected in the course of their job. But the Supreme Court has ruled, they, they sort of, and I don't want to say that, that it's like one of the, but some people will say that, well, they're kind of making it up as they go along. And that it's not, that's not exactly what's going on. But they, exactly they say that, that it's actually, we're not <laughs> going to say like absolute immunity. We're going to say qualified immunity, that it is possible that a police officer, for example, could do some things where, no, you can prosecute them or you can sue them for what they did. And, and, and yeah, and for them, it has to be like for that, it has to be pretty, pretty significant wrongdoing. Well, and this is where the qualified immunity, as I understand it, comes in, where it's okay. In theory, it's a lesser immunity; it's qualified, but it's oh, I'm, I want to sue this police officer because I, I feel he violated my rights because he, you know, accosted me or searched without warrant or whatever it might be. And they'll be they being the, the courts in this case will be like, yeah, but. He didn't really know that, and there's not a case on point like this, so we're going to let him off on this case. But if it ever happens again just like this, then they're in trouble. And so the same thing happens, but it's on a Tuesday instead of a Thursday. And the mm. courts say, well, you know, last time it was on a Tuesday. This time, or he's left-handed instead of right-handed. And so they've been able to stretch this arguably invented doctrine to cover a vast range of civil rights violations by State actors, I guess, is an sure. appropriate term. So yeah, it's 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 amazing what the police can get a police and other. Frankly, it's not just police; any yeah. federal, state agent can get away with. And from a practical standpoint, just to, to drill down for a second, even if an officer gets in trouble for something, gets dismissed from the force, or has a has a negative thing in their their record, as it were, they just go one city over. Yeah. yeah. And, and can get and rehired. That, yeah, that I mean, that's a thing because you don't want the I mean, if somebody's actually been dismissed from a police force or somebody nobody should be hiring no police force around the country should be hiring that person. And yet they do. Yeah. There's and, a and lot of documented cases. Yeah. yeah. And there needs to be Including well Including the man who murdered George Floyd. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, whose name we will not be speaking because he's a piece of shit. Um, and especially when, I mean, and what he did to George Floyd was enough, but when you read the history of the guy, it's like, how did he have a job? This a, is what, job this yeah. is what is mm -hmm. frustrating to me is because I believe there are good police officers out Absolutely. there. Mm -hmm. I believe I've there are some. people mm -hmm. who join the police force for all the right reasons mm -hmm. who are doing their best to protect us mm -hmm. as a society. Yes. I truly believe that. That's why it's so infuriating when you have an asshole who has been caught, who has, mm -hmm. the police have found him and been like, no, we don't want him to be one of us and have excommunicated them. And it's exactly it's nice like yeah. Steve said, 
He just went a couple towns over yeah. and got a new job. It, it, yeah. Which which I'm going to say speaks speaks to two things. On one hand, yes, you'd like some sort of global police database where this was all recorded and things. But also the, wait a minute, that town two towns over, did they not give a damn? Did they not check? Did at they all? not do their due diligence? Yeah. I mean, when 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 we hire an engineer, when we hire a freaking summer intern. You know, we ask for references. Yeah. And we call those references. Yeah. You know, and we talk to them. Well, and I'm sorry, but any job in the federal government, there's a background check. Yeah. I don't care if you're secretary to... Well, well, there is a background check, but that background check is for what what is the like criminal history here, not just... But the that's the thing, so, right? Yes. That's no, the is. thing is, is, you know, I know someone who repairs air conditioners for the federal government, and he had a background check. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me a police officer who was fired from being a police officer yep. for doing things that were against the law passed well, a background check yes, but this to is be hired never, as this, a police officer somewhere else? Convicted okay, so like yeah, yeah, strictly speaking, that's not we're not talking about a background check here because he's got no criminal record. Yeah. But this is calling your, your previous employer oh, yeah. and, and say like so what, what kinda you know how 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 did how was he separated from his last Would job? Would you hire him or, back? Yeah. Or was he interviewed and was he asked why did you leave your last job? Yes. You know, I mean, I've I've had job applications. Was it you know? Did you ever have a job where you resigned in lieu of being terminated? And it's like, I really, I mean, the answer no. But it's, you know, mm -hmm. and so did nobody call or did they call? And whoever that guy's chief of police was, you know, didn't didn't want him to. You know, not have a job, so he just yeah. sort of talked around it. He's a good and, guy getting you know, to the barbecue once. Yeah. I can't speak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no it, he's, it's a real, uh, he's yeah. good people. He comes from a good family. He's, uh, yeah. you know, good people being code, actually. Yes. Yeah. If, if you didn't, I mean, just trust me, it is. Yeah. No, it's 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 a real problem. I mean, bottom line, it is. And I, I, will, I will say, to your point about how there are good police officers, I don't mean to say police yeah. as a group are problematic. And I think... Some of the things that I've seen discussed in some cases by police officers are things like, A, we use the police as basically the catch-all janitor for cities yes. to do yeah. all kinds of crap they shouldn't do. That's a yes. problem. I mean, bottom line. For them, that's a big problem. It's a big problem for them. And and we all, and also the training on police has changed radically over the last yes. 30 years. It is pivoted. Like you look at the, some of the older guys who had retired, who had been, you know, policemen in the '70s or '80s, and they got punched all the time. They got stabbed, mm -hmm. and and that was part of the job, more or less. You know, they would they, they didn't think that was weird. Nowadays, the priority is no, you have to get home alive. So if you yeah. have to shoot the person who you think might be a threat, that's okay. As long as you get home alive. Yeah. Well, we have militarized the police. Yeah, that's exactly. the thing. Is that it used to be a different training for police officers than there were for military people, and now we're hiring former military people to train our police forces True. to be military. Although, yes, although I will also point out that when you run into that, a lot of times the former military folks had much clearer rules of engagement, and and in theaters and did their job the police, better. Yeah, than the police yeah. domestically. Yes. You know, and I, I, there was a there was a case, and I forget where it was about a, a former former uh, military personnel. I forget if they were an MP or not. They were a police officer. They were called to a domestic disturbance. They got there first person on the scene by themselves. There was a guy in the yard with a gun, but he was also clearly not threatening anybody. So he assessed it and said, "This guy is not currently a threat. I'm going to try to talk him down." So he started talking him down. 
apparently backstory there was some some call later calls in parallel to the dispatch saying hey his, the gun wasn't loaded but in any in any event he didn't know that he's trying to talk the guy down other police show up mm-hmm. see the guy with a gun and shoot him yeah and the first officer is disciplined for endangering the other officers yeah because he, he didn't, didn't shoot because he didn't kill him first the guy had a gun he should have you should have shot him why was this even a point yeah. but the military training because he'd had much more sophisticated rules of engagement in theater knew just yeah. because someone has a gun doesn't mean you shoot them. Yeah. You assess it. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with the military. Please, I'm shocked that there's a there's a small suburb in town, which shall remain nameless, that is, you know, one of these little enclaves, bedroom community type things. I drove past their police department. They had an MRAP. Yep. One of those anti-mine military vehicles because they're just casting these things off and police force pick them up. Why do you need that in suburbia? You know, there is because, no reason. Because if there's something you might need it for, by the time it gets out there, the event's over. Right. But they like to have the toys and they like to play cosplay, for lack of a better There's there a know, certain strand of police that likes to cosplay that as observation the has been made. And that, the thing yeah. about it is, is it's very well documented that poli- being a police officer in America is one of the most stressful jobs you can have. Yeah. And I mean, it's a horribly... Horribly yes. stressful job. Yes. And that is why it is rampant with alcohol abuse, mm-hmm. drug yeah. abuse. Mm-hmm. Domestic violence. And too. domestic yes. violence at yes. home. And these are the people who are buying cast off military supplies. Yes. Exactly. And being told, if you feel threatened in any way, annihilate. Shoot. Yeah. Yep. No, that's exactly true. This is a recipe for people getting murdered in the United States. Which is and what's hey, guess happening. what? Yeah. People are getting murdered in the United States. And so what do we do about it? Well, the So, let's start with this. You know, police have badge and guns. Mm-hmm. Okay. That job we know, should know, is going to attract the exact worst kind of person. To have a badge and gun. And police have to have some kind of, like, higher level, you know, filter, interviews, whatever, screening, um, to do their best to not even let those people get hired in the first place. But then if you find out, like, once they're out there and you realize this is one of those people... There, there has to be some discipline system, but I, and, I mean, and a clear mark that carries forward. Yeah, and where you're not going to get a job as a police officer. Yeah, and and really, you know, if that's okay, people are sad that you're not going to get a job as a police officer. Well, those people need to be reminded. You can find some other line of work, mm-hmm. not a line of work where you're going to put people's lives in danger. Well, and that's like the the thing I like is the idea of the the I'll define police this way because there's different things police do. Yeah. Police are ultimately the people who are invested with the authority to use force on behalf of the state, up to and including lethal force. Yes. So those people, the reality is you're going to have those people, no matter how ideal your society is, you're going to have yeah. those. Those people should only be put in positions where that is applicable. Yes. So all the other crap we make police deal with, they should not deal with. Because if you have somebody who's trained and authorized to use force... There are many situations that tool shouldn't even be available. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you talk about like the people having mental health crises, 
any number of things, you know, minor annoyances of homeless people, whatever it is. You know, and there's other people that you can have as government employees who can go deal with certain issues. And who are trained to deal with those yes. situations in the most effective manner possible. Exactly. exactly. Which does not ever involve shooting them. Yes. And this has been a thing that in the in the past, you know, police unions or police officers have, have you know, complained about or pointed out. I mean, this is one of the things that puts a drain on police officers, um, both, you know, f- for resources going out and doing the job that they should do, but also, you know, emotionally and psychologically, and it's not what they should be used for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, and so, as a teacher, I can say I appreciate people in another profession where everybody else thinks that profession is like a cure-all. Yeah. <laughs> because like, as you know, as a teacher, it's like, oh, education yeah. is the great equalizer. So yeah. we're just, you know, you should be able to fix everything. Like every kid should come out all, you know, rainbows mm. and unicorn farts. But police, the police, okay, well, something's going wrong. Cat's in a tree, you know, or, or you know, mm-hmm. Florence, Florence and Bob are arguing again. We'll call the cops. Mm. That's not what cops are for. Well, we, we had a kid who crashed a car and totaled it. Um, minor injuries to himself, no other cars involved, single car accident. Called the police because that's what you apparently have to do when there's a thing. And so we have two police officers that ultimately show up. And two police officers show up. Great. And they, they, they you know, they're very professional. They're very helpful. They, they log the reports. They do the event, everything they need to do. And it's great. But why did two people who are authorized to use force come out for a single car accident to take a, take a statement and write up a report because you need it for insurance right but why why is that task right exactly to because insurance wants it to happen well no that's and is fine. that a valid thing but though? but well maybe the insurance want it can't we have traffic off, right. traffic personnel who different levels armed? of yeah, police exactly exactly or different. simply so. not even police but like city official yeah city official comes out it's a traffic monitor you know yeah. the hall monitor and the other thing, speaking of the, the shooting unarmed people, I mean, mm. there's one of the things that, and this is an odd thing, but it describes me as in particular, is the, when somebody, like the police are pursuing somebody and they're running away and they tell them to stop and they don't stop. And so apparently it's appropriate then to use deadly force because they wouldn't stop. See, and that's... That, that particularly... To me, to that's me, TV show cops. I mean, that's the thing is that yeah. it's like... We have this idea of what the cops do and behave based on television yeah. and movies, which are wildly inaccurate according to the laws of our country. There is and never the- a time where it's appropriate to beat up a suspect. I don't care if you think they did it. The, the, this is drama. It's TV. Exactly. It's you know, it's it's these anything you see well, on TV about cops is completely inaccurate. Th- that's true. However, also, I believe the U.S. is one of the very few countries, as far as industrialized countries, so to speak, that allow the police to lie to people during interrogations. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's totally that, a legal that's, thing. That, that's permissible. Yes, yeah. yeah. That during interrogations, police can lie to you, and anything you say as a result of... Is still admissible. Is admissible, yeah. And can keep you in interrogation for multiple hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And even though that that's... So every so often on social media, especially if you're, you know, going around a lot of sites related to law and government and a lot of the people I follow on social media, um, 
there will be these this these ads for I want to say it's a criminal defense for it's like the two criminal defense attorneys and they're from Los Angeles and it's the <laughs> shut the fuck up ad <laughs> yes. you know if the police has you shut the fuck up if the you know if you get pulled over the way, shut the fuck up well and there's a cigar involved but yeah, yeah. And, and always yeah. ask for a lawyer I mean that's the one thing yeah. I've learned from podcasts about crime is like all these false confessions are because somebody didn't have a lawyer because a cop said to them, yeah. well, why do you need a lawyer? Are you guilty? Yes. And then 12 hours later, and you say none of your goddamn they're business, confessing to things that never yeah. happened. So something important to point out about false confessions before DNA testing, you would have most people think, and in fact, most people probably think this anyway, that why would someone confess to something they didn't do? You know, they're sitting in their living room, you know, having their TV dinners, watching TV, and, you know, hearing about, oh, you know, somebody was coerced in confessions. Like, if I'm innocent, there's no way I would confess to a right. crime. Look, we know for a fact people who have been exonerated by DNA evidence that, should, that didn't just put their conviction in doubt but proved it was not them. Mm-hmm. They confessed as a result of interrogation. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there, it's a specific technique Mm -hmm. that they use, and I'm I'm blanking on it, but there's a name of this technique. Oh, no, I know what you're, I can't remember. United States is the only one that still uses it because everybody else has realized that it leads to false confessions. Yes, and not. Well, and just when you can be detained for hours on end with no sign of being released, when they can lie to you about the information they can say they have. Yeah. Against you, you at some point just give in and oh my gosh, I, I don't know. I my only way out is to confess. I can't right. take it yeah. anymore. And also when you have and that's like police, but when you have prosecutors mm-hmm. saying things like, Okay, plea deal. Right. Because let's face it, based on the evidence we have, you know, if, if you if you want a jury trial, okay, but you're facing like ten years in prison. But if you accept this plea deal, you'll be out and back to your family and earning an income to help support your family yeah. in six months. What do you think a lot of those people are gonna do? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's and by the way, it's been pointed out that when when we see some trials that have happened, people that have been prosecuted um, where the the prosecutors seem to like have their thumbs up their ass, and it's like, how the hell would, would these people be the prosecutors in a high profile case? Has been pointed out how many cases are actually pled to where where, ple- where they yeah. don't actually yeah. go through a trial, yeah. Yeah. where they rarely have to do it. Cocktail break. So we began the evening with Sazeracs. Literally, plural. Literally, plural. We had to. So a Sazerac is one of those cocktails where there's a lot of lore associated with it. So who knows what's true. It may be America's oldest cocktail. Anyway, so it is a New Orleans cocktail. Um, Its base liquor is rye. Uh, although some people use bourbon, that's fine. And there's variations where it's like, well, originally it was cognac. Well, f- fine, make it with cognac. I've done that. It's pretty good. But you, you take a glass with ice, and some people don't do ice. They just serve it up. But anyway, glass, and you pour a splash of absinthe in. And most recipes will say, swirl the absinthe in the glass and then pour out the excess. To which I'm going to say two things. If you do it right, there's not going to be excess 
And then even if you don't do it right, just leave it in. I mean, unless yeah. you accidentally poured a shot and a half it's of... It's perfectly tasty. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, the second you... Sazerac of the evening was quite absinthe horrific. Absinthe? <laughs> yes. It's very... Well, it, it does require a delicate touch. Absinthe is a strong flavor. Yes, and yes, it's also it one, is. It's also one of the fun things. Well, what I find entertaining about it, so to speak, thinking of the, the how cocktails are made, is usually you start with a base liquor and then other things to it that dilute it you're adding a liqueur you're adding bitters you're adding a, yeah, it's not stuff. really what's yeah. going here not not absinthe no absinthe no. is usually yeah. stronger than your base liquor yeah plus it brings that that fun bite of wormwood yeah and tingly and we're not saying yeah that... my nose went numb which that's how my brother taught me that you're <laughs> <laughs> you've got a good buzz going is when the tip of your nose goes numb mm, and no. that was achieved with the sazerac i'm not, well okay you're welcome <laughs> no i um yeah no i've 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 liked sazerac's for a long time and and for the longest time when absinthe was banned in the united states for dumb reasons um, we, yeah we would use pastises so there's probably the one of the more common absence is paranoid well when you know the absinthe was banned and in the united states you could get paired with the pastis and just use that and that's fine and that's why herbicide exists you know it's an american pastis that was made in louisiana but anyway you you coat the glass and you do, i'm saying you do not pour out the excess no. just you know just do a splash and don't go overboard um and then in a shaker you um basically the recipes I've seen say you use like confectioner sugar. You use simple syrup, and and we used brown sugar cubes tonight, which is I, pretty good. I, I like it, and to me, it, for whatever reason, to me, it says more Louisiana y to use brown sugar. Sure, you know what? I bet a sazerac could taste pretty good with a little bit of chili powder in it. I want to try that now that I'm thinking about it. You have fun. <laughs> no, and I will. <laughs> um, but you put you put a little sugar in, and then then you put bitters in. Now the thing about the bitters is, I mean, different places do use different bitters and whatever. So a, a book that I have that I think we've referenced before, the New Orleans cocktails and how to make them or whatever, that was that's how I make mine. Is you use Angostura bitters and Peychaud's bitters, not just Peychaud's bitters, but both of them. And so when I do it, I put like, you know, a couple of dashes of Angostura. And then I, like, I shake out, you know, an eighth of the bottle of, of Peychaud's. And, okay, not an eighth of the bottle, but... Um, I, I also use a generous amount of Peychaud's. And to yeah. be fair, Peychaud's is not as bitter. Yeah, it's not. It's very mild as bitters yeah. go. Yeah. And it's an orange bitters, and you'll taste it and be like, I'm not sure I taste orange there, but it's an orange bitters, and it's just, it's really good. And it's also from New Orleans. And um, then you put in your rye. Um, and then you shake the hell out of it and then you just, you, you put it in the glass and if you do it right, it comes out this sort of rouge pink color. Um, which is just, our theme for is, February yeah. and it's, which I mean, it's red for Valentine's. It's my favorite cocktail. I also really like it. Um, I will say I make it differently mostly, mostly because I'm lazy and don't want to do dishes. So I'll take my glass. I throw in a brown sugar cube. The bitters, the absinthe, malt, mush, mullet? No, it's, um, um, oh my God, muddle. why can't we think? Muddle. muddle. Thank you. God, why couldn't I we think it, of that? Because yeah, our brains Two are muddled. Two Sazerac's? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so I, and, I and halfway through this. Mostly to break up the, the sugar cube and get a little bit blended. And then I just pour in the whiskey and then I'll put the ice on top of that and then swirl it. 
and I'm happy. So. Well, and I mean, it'll come out pretty good. Yeah. It'll taste a little different, but it still comes out pretty I'm good. I'm happy with it. So that was that was the first cocktail of the evening. Yeah. And then the second cocktail is surprisingly refreshing. Yeah, I I I'm shocked that I'm really enjoying it. So, thinking about red cocktails that I like, I like a Cape Cod because it's easy in every kind of way. It's easy to make. It's easy to drink. Um, it's vodka and cranberry cranberry juice, and that is it. A slice of lime, a squirt of lime in there. But I was thinking back to my misspent youth, <laughs> and there was a. At a club called... A club called Polyesters, down on the Riverwalk. P-O-L-L-Y space... E-S-T-H-E-R. Apostrophe S. You don't say. And yeah, so they had different theme floors. You had the 70s floor, and then the 80s floor, and then 90s slash 2000s. And you have to understand how many ads for polyesters would run on the radio, and yeah. It was a fun place to go dancing, I have to say. And uh, they had themed drinks, and one of them was called an X-Men, which I ordered one time just because I really liked that cartoon show when I was a child. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's so... A, there's a clear correlation between childhood cartoon shows and cocktails. Yeah, obviously. So it's, I don't want to know what a Muppet Babies is. Ew. <laughs> Way to make it weird, dude. <laughs> Laugh Olympics? That's got to be an interesting cocktail. <laughs> uh, I, I'm seeing a future theme for our show. Rack it. <laughs> Anyways, so an X-Men, according to polyesters, is um, cranberry juice, vodka, and a shot of peach schnapps, which works. I don't know why it works, but it works. I, I'm, I'm befuddled. I don't like peaches, and I really don't like cranberry juice, but this is delightful. Yeah. So I love peaches. I love peach cobbler. Um, I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's like my absolute favorite, but I love peaches. Uh, I am, I am pleasantly surprised at this. I, I would say, even though I love peaches, I would avoid peach schnapps at all costs. And so I was a little like trepidatious and, uh, but I'm like, no, yeah, let's go ahead. And wow. I mean, I like this. It's mm-hmm. refreshing. Yeah. It's it, great it's, when you're dancing in San Antonio, Texas and you're really hot and sweaty. Mm-hmm. You know, That's it would, good. it would, yeah. Yeah. it would be. Um, if you guys really want to go crazy, we can do my other favorite dance drink, which was Red Bull and vodka. I will not be doing <laughs> that. <laughs> because I'm... I am on some medications. 19. Yeah, I'm not sure I can handle it anymore. I think it would not be advisable. The heart palpitations might be too yeah, much at this point. And point. also, doesn't Red Bull, doesn't it have that gross bubblegum taste? I've never actually it tasted it. It doesn't taste it, like bubblegum to me, but it has a gross taste, yes. I've never the had point? Red Bull, and I, I don't. I'm not. I would to. say this: if I got the Red Bull and the vodka proportioned correctly, it kind of tastes like a Jolly Rancher to me. But that's how I remember it in my youth. And that's not I'm very it, old so, now, and yeah, I don't go dancing anymore, so I, it's well, very maybe, unlikely. I have maybe a feeling. Causal thing reversed. Or maybe you don't go dancing because you stop drinking the Red Bull. And vodka. That's probably correct. I have because, a feeling that it would also make your teeth fall out the way a Jolly Rancher might make your well, teeth yeah. fall out. But you drink a Red Bull and vodka, you dance all night. I'm just telling you, sir. Oh, I don't think I would. <laughs> Depends on how you define dance. I just, it's like with a Four loco chaser. <laughs> Let's pull out all the stops. Dude. I'm not going to do that. 
No, I, I will say I'm I am pleasantly refreshed by this. Yeah. No. Yeah. The the X Men good Red Bull and vodka. Thumbs up. Yeah, I yeah. don't recommend. Well, I wouldn't recommend any energy drinks to anybody at any time. No. I just I don't trust that. I mean, I just have a feeling there's going to be like a class action lawsuit because there's going to be a lot of Gen Z that's 40 years old and they look like they're 90 years old. Yeah, they're all having like heart attacks. Or yes, I know. I'm probably wrong, but oh well. Just stick with coffee. Yeah. It's yeah. A good low level stimulant. It's an antioxidant. Coffee is fantastic. I also used to do espresso teenies, but those usually were more expensive and it took longer to get them at the bar because they had to brew the espresso. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. yeah it's So, yeah. but those were also good for dancing. Well, coffee and whiskey. Coffee and Irish whiskey. Coffee and bourbon. Well, those just make me sleepy. Coffee and Benedictine. Coffee and Kahlua. Which, which nobody would like. Coffee and Kahlua, yeah. Woo. It's like coffee and coffee. Now it's time for What's That Over There? Squirrel! <laughs> I'm so glad that that's become... We need an image of the squirrel uh, yeah. drinking a cocktail. Oh, dude. Can you please draw that for us? Yeah, I'll work on that. I want that to be our mascot. <laughs> so... Steve, you want to do yours first? or Sure. I okay. was going to do two podcasts, but instead I was reminded that I uh, visited D.C. actually since the last time I think we recorded, um, which was frankly lovely as always. There is so much to see in D.C. If one is into museums and history and, and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's just great. Um, the museums are wonderful. Pick a museum that you like. Um, we did... Air and Space, which actually was mostly closed, sadly, but now it has an X-Wing, so that was a win. Um, it, it, wait, what? There was an X-Wing in the Air and Space Museum. Is it full-sized? Yes. Shit. Dude. Posed, but still, yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking it. It was, it was sweet. I'm not going to lie. I, it was where the X, I'm pretty sure the, the X-1 uh, used to be. But like I said, it's, it's like more than half. Really? Well, <laughs> they put it where the X1 was? I think. But again, it's like half closed because they're doing a major renovation. So I couldn't tell you exactly where things were. But anyway, they have an X-Wing and that's a win. Um, then we went, not then. I'm you know what I really want them to do? I want them so, to keep the same plaque and just tell them this is what Chuck Yeager used to break the well, what, What's funny though is they had the plaque just like all the other planes. <laughs> they literally, with the whole like manufactured, da da da, here's a thrust. Where was it manufactured? Bespin? It was, no, I don't. No, no, it wasn't the, Bespin. Oh it was no, the, uh, like yeah. my brother could say. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I, I know. There is a city, but I don't remember. It was a long time ago in the galaxy far, far, far away. Far away. But anyway. So they had that there, which was good. We went to the uh, Museum of the American Indian, which oh. was which yeah. was good. And they had a, it I was see that one. the from what I could tell, the primary exhibit, which which I thought was wonderful, was actually they kind of walked through the treaties. Oh, how interesting! Which <laughs> that was, we all violated. Well, it was yeah, that but, the United but what was neat was they they kind of divided into like three segments basically, and the first segment was kind of like the early treaties, where. Um, the colonists really were on the, the short end of the stick, so to speak. But every time they did a treaty, regardless, they always did like the they they did a good job contextualizing it. Here's what the Indians understood. Here's the concepts they went into it with. Here's what the the colonists understood and how yeah. they went into it with. And here's what happened later. And and then they had like a second stage where it was kind of more of equals, and the third stage where basically we were just beating them up. Uh, but they, they still did a really nice job on all of them. And it was it was interesting, and also made it showed a little more complexity that a lot of times maybe the 
the white folk doing the treat doing the treaties maybe were a little more earnest about the treaty. Hmm. But then within a couple of years, they got pushed out by people who just wanted the land kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a really nice presentation. Led by President Jackson really and others. Yeah. They did a really good job of that. Um, the African-American. Oh, did you go to that? Like we to we that. did. It, it was seen, yeah. very good. Yeah. I wasn't able to spend, for a variety of reasons, as much time in any of these as I would have liked, but that was very good. Yeah. Uh, the American Indians seemed to be a much smaller exhibit space. It was actually mm-hmm. more of like a, an event area. Uh, but the the African American was was m- just one long exhibit. Essentially, it was it was excellent. Um, we did the art did we we touched on parts of National Art Gallery, and then we did a couple of the a couple of the monuments. And I got to say, we we saw the Martin Luther King monument, which was good. It was a very nice monument, very striking. What I hadn't noticed last time I was there is he's across like the tidal basin from Jefferson and he's basically staring down Jefferson. Which really? I love. Yeah. yeah. That was a little like, hmm, I see what you're doing though. Yeah. But the one that I had never been to before, which was truly the most impressive, was the Library of Congress. Oh, oh man, which that would be my holy grail. It was glorious, first of all. It was just, just beautiful. You come in in the outer area and it's all these murals and stuff and it's really cool. And then that's before you get to like overlook the reading room, which we've all seen yeah. in various places. Yeah. And there's like a tiny little balcony you get to go on that's like all like plexiglassed off so you don't disturb the people. But apparently, if you are 16 years or older, you can get a card to the Library of Congress and go there. Oh, how cool. And I was like, holy is... crap. Well, if I lived there, I would have just lived there. Yeah. yeah. That would, oh man, yeah. So. No, Library of Congress, the museums. <clears throat> I would want to go to D.C. for a week just for air and space. Yeah. Um, okay, so I will actually say the, the main on-the-mall air and space, having been there a few times, is a wonderful museum. It actually won't take that long because there's not a lot there. The exhibits are high quality, but there's a relatively few number you of you them. you got to go to the hangar. You go to Udvar Hazy, yeah. that's, which we didn't go to this time. I kind of teased it and said, anybody want to go to Udvar Hazy? Nobody bit, so we didn't go. Discovery's there, though, right? Everything's there. There's yeah. a Concord. Tell people what Udvar Hazy is. Okay, sorry. Udvar Hazy is basically an annex of the Air and Space Museum. It is at Dulles, I believe it's Dulles Airport. Um, it's basically a T-shaped hangar. But the scale of it is, so as I was alluding to, they have inside this little hangar, it's basically like the attic of the Air and Space Museum. It's all the stuff they couldn't fit on the mall, but they had, so why not put it out somewhere? They have a Concord. They have one of the Star, one of the shuttles. They have a V2, V2 rocket. They have one of the large Boeings. I can't remember which one. They have an SR-71. On the mall, you get to see the Wright Flyer, which is a very nice mm. exhibit, actually. At Udvar Hazy, they have 12 other wooden canvas flyers. <laughs> I mean, they have over, when I was there, they had over in the corner, like 20 different kinds of helicopters just kind of shoved because they had to stick them somewhere. It's boggles. They had a beautiful rocket with, like, early like but pre-v1 kind of thing because it had like laminated wooden fins <laughs> i don't even know it was just amazing so i've been reading some books by annie jacobson and she writes about stuff related to like national security and she um she produces a lot of books and so, i mean she generates a lot um like every couple of years there's there's a new book um, but more recently, she wrote a book on Area 51. Hmm. 
and Area 51 starts off as, you know, Lockheed and the CIA need, need a place to flight test the U-2. And then later the SR-71 and, and so on. And, but I mean, but there's a lot of other stories because Area 51 is right next to the Nevada testing range. And so there were, there were some, there were some nuclear tests where the, the sort of truth or at least some of the truth behind them didn't come out until like the 90s. And I was reminded um, from, you know, what she was writing about how under President Clinton there was like, you know, investigation into human radiation testing and stuff, which is like some of the stuff that happened out there. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, you know. Um, and, and there was some, I mean, there was just some crazy stuff. It's not aliens, yeah. but it's still some crazy stuff that was going on. Some ideas of, oh, here's what we could use like nuclear engines for, and like the Nerva engine and other nuclear power for. And it's like, okay. Um, the the only thing I'm going to say, Nerva engines were awesome, as long as you weren't behind them. Okay. Well, and I mean, were you aware that in in Nevada and Jackass Flats? That they, which is the actual name? Which is the actual name? I'm not just saying that, but um, you're that, not just being rude to I'm Nevada. I'm not just being no. rude to the the people that were working on this, but they they like apparently purposely tested the engine to the point it exploded. Well, that's good testing protocol. You always should test things to failure. Okay, but it's a nuclear engine. <laughs> Yeah. And there's video of it. I mean, you can see well, video okay. of it on YouTube. It's really sparkly. Do you test nuclear reactors to failure? Well, it's, it's otherwise that's kind of what they did. How they fail. Yeah, okay. So, for those of you not familiar, the, the Nerva engine was, as I understood it, essentially a nuclear reactor with a hole in it. Why would you put a hole in it? So you got thrust. Like seriously? Yes, yes seriously. we're not making that up. No. It, it was going to be back in the good old days when it was like, we got this nuclear power. What crazy things can we do with it? Yeah. Wait yeah. a minute. What if we put a hole in a nuclear we, reactor? We could send things into Zoom. space and have them keep going for yeah, a long yes, time. I'm sure they no, could. Yeah. yeah. Again, uh-huh. The only problem was if you were behind it. If uh-huh. you were behind yeah, it, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. And we're not even talking about Project Orion. Orion. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so, we'll save that. <laughs> We'll say no, 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 no. no tell no, tell okay. the good folks with so Project Orion. Nuclear Pulse Nerva, Engine. Nerva was you yeah, have a Nerva. reactor, which is continuously churning along, doing its reactor thing, and you punch a hole, and so you're spewing out some stuff that's not great. Orion was... A nuclear pulse rocket. Yes, which addressed the problem of, what if you have too many nuclear bombs, and you don't know what to do with them? You throw them under your rocket ship. And, and you have you a pusher them. plate. Yes, which is like three or four feet thick of steel yeah with a bunch of shock well, and others on yeah it. and you throw a bomb under it and it explodes and you go up because and then you throw another the bomb pusher under plate which has got giant giant springs basically throwing, giant shock absorbers yeah. like one bomb every correct me like if i'm seconds, wrong 10 but seconds, would like that. an iron plate protect you from nuclear yeah. radiation yes, to some, numbers yeah yep the, you've got to have enough so shielding. the people below Oh, yeah, you're just... You're oh, there's no one within no several one lines. No. This right. Is, this is the kind of thing that you launch somewhere on some uninhabited atoll. Yeah, no, this yes, would have been launched out of the Pacific. Yeah. And they well, and yeah. there was also, like, the, the, they they worked on some scaling of it. So there's a book by George Dyson called Project Orion. Everybody should read it. I'm not sure if it's still in print. Yeah, it's not. Um, but where they did, where they looked at it, if it's just simply fission bombs, which mm. would be, like you know, the size of Nagasaki or bigger. And you basically had the back end of this thing, I mean, you know, north of the pusher plate, 
because there there's a tube that the bomb goes out of through the middle of the pusher plate and then detonates. It's in one design, um, yeah. But in in the toward the end of the the body of the rocket, you basically have a Pez dispenser of atomic bombs. And, and and you can select which ones theory? for size. No, no. Well, well, they okay. built this. No, they never. They, no, they didn't build it. Okay, but they, they did the math. They did the math. They worked on it a lot. There were a number of people. They they did build a scale model that used non nuclear explosives to test the idea of the, the yeah. pulse engine type, uh -huh. type approach. Um, and there was no reason it wouldn't work. Um, now let me let me let me let me frame this a little bit. Common yet, sense not well, being a reason. Well, yet launching from the surface of the Earth. Is is problematic <laughs> because you would have needed a few dozen you nuclear few detonations, dozen and, and, and many states would be no longer inhabitable. It, but I mean, it would have been spectacular if, if you'd have done it. If you start off in orbit, yeah, you really so don't that's have the, the same that's problem. the thing. And the the beauty of it is these these suckers just go. There, there was it, it's the, this is the kind of thing where you could literally t you it would now be feasible to talk about exploring the solar system the, not just like Saturn the moon by 1970 but, yeah. that, that was not unrealistic what yeah. is it when the nuclear bomb doesn't get you it's the emt the oh the emp and the electromagnetic yeah. EMP, pulse it, yeah. isn't that, doing that from orbit gonna, gonna cause the emp well problem? you have shielding yeah. on the, on not, the not back the end of the rocket not for the rocket. Well, not for the, the rocket, rocket yeah. but for like, say, well, all our satellites. Well, so well, there weren't as many satellites back. The EMP, like, so I don't know as much about it, but I think yeah. EMP, it is strongest when it's a high altitude, multi megaton detonation. Yeah, yeah. Like high altitude, where it's where it's like on the cusp of space, where nobody on the Earth is gonna die. So orbit's from that fine. But it, it's going to well, fry it's gotta some. Big, it's got to be a big blast up there yeah. to make an EMP. So yeah. that's one of the things with this is you could like kind of tune it. Like if you're near Earth, Do say, a small nuclear bomb exactly. like close to home exactly. and then use the big ones yes. further out. You get it. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. But they, they also did the math for like a much larger. Why would you want to go to Saturn? Have you seen Wait, Saturn? I'm sorry. You're, of you're course you want to go to Saturn. You can't land on it. Okay, you could land well, on the moon. No, but they have like a couple dozen moons you can land on. Okay. And also, and it's gorgeous. It okay. would, the view. The I view, mean, come yes. on. Yeah. Okay. You know, and you'd learn things if you go there. No, no, the I get place. the basic premise so, of okay, NASA. Uh, like, yeah, don't, don't, why go to Saturn? But anyway, <laughs> back to Area 51, I, I will say that she actually talks about Roswell a little bit. Really? And I'm going to say that that what um, the the interviews that she did and the documentary, it's a weird theory. It's not one of the common ones out there. And I think since this book came out a few years ago that it has been largely, it must have been largely discounted that it was a uh, actually a Russian aircraft based on a Nazi design that Stalin sent into New Mexico because that's where Roswell Air Force Base was, which was the headquarters, the 509th wing, which was the only wing at the time that could carry nuclear bombs. And it was a Horton 229 no. or whatever. What? Huh? No, at the time, no, we're okay. talking late 40s. Okay, my, It my... was the 509th bombardment <laughs> wing, which by the way, that's also the wing with the, the currently the B-2s. So, um, so my my conundrum here, because I'm just going to interrupt you here, is the okay. So I'm picturing where Roswell, New Mexico, uh -huh. is on yeah. the globe, 
Yeah. And I picture where the Soviet Union is. Yep. On oh, they, the they, globe. no, they would have had, it didn't, she didn't say that it flew all the way from the Soviet Union. I guess it somehow, refueled somewhere. Well, right, or it, or the, it somehow got into Mexico and it took off from someplace in the northern deserts of Mexico. I mean, I don't know. She doesn't offer an explanation okay. for that. She just That's says, almost this is where it is. And <laughs> she leaves and, a gaping hole about that. What? No, yeah, no. And so, but that, but that's where like some of the people she interviews, she's like, oh yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, I don't, I mean, I don't, the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, the other stuff was some stuff I already knew there's been independent reporting yeah, yeah, yeah. of, yeah. but that whole Roswell thing. I mean, I think maybe that was sort of the, the gimmick to get people to get the book, but other, I'm going to say apart from that. And it's like, I don't even know what to think about that. Mm-hmm. But the, the rest of the book, I mean, it is actually really informative and very interesting. And most of her books are, mm-hmm. but like I said, there's, you know, occasional yeah, spots where it's like there, yeah. where I'm like, mm, okay, but it's still the, her books are pretty interesting. And that's what I've been reading lately. I've been kind of hooked on it. So I actually have a, what's that over there for you guys? All right. There was a documentary, I think it came out in 2022, called Goodnight Oppie. Oh, for Oppenheimer? No, for um, Opportunity and Spirit, the two rovers sent to Mars. Oh, awesome. So it's a very... Get the last message from you. It's a very cool documentary because it is the lifespan of these rovers, and it's all the NASA folks. It's almost only NASA people being interviewed who actually did the mission, and them talking about the fact that these were they were slated for ninety days, right? Yes. They were created to yes. have a ninety-day mission it on Mars, years. and they kept going. And the little rover that could. Oh yeah, it's so it's just a lovely story. One, it's a good, it's a solid, well-made documentary mm-hmm. telling a, a nice little snippet of NASA history. Mm-hmm. But then it's also a beautifully told human story about the people who actually did the work and how they got emotionally involved with doing this work. And yeah, you will become emotionally attached to oh, Mars sure. rovers. Oh, yeah. oh already yeah. am. Oh, those those yeah. those little critters. They but were, yeah, and it's such a or, nice or even the bigger critters tribute yeah. to them. So yeah. okay. I, I I highly I recommend Goodnight Oppie to anybody who no, is a I NASA geek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Last call. So, I think there's a general consensus that the uh, police could use a little bit more work, government oversight. Yeah, oversight yeah. control. Because, and I and I think it's governed. It's important to acknowledge, and and maybe, and y'all can disagree with this, but that whatever the reform is going to be, so that. You know, the, the kind of people that that job attracts, who you do not want in that kind of job, you know, do not get that job. And if they should happen to, you know, defeat all of the, mm-hmm. you know, the things and get in that you figure out a way to get them out. Um, the police themselves, I mean, they have to be a part of that. Yes. Because, like, let's say it's just going to be a citizen oversight board or a city council or a county government or a state government, and they try to impose it on the police, it ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. And we can say, well, that that's, you know, on the one hand, 
I'm, yeah, people could absolutely say that's that's sort of like symptomatic of the problem. But at the same time, the reality is, I mean, you're going to have to include the police in that. Well, and, and to the point, they're, they're perfectly good police, I'm sure, can understand the need for reform, change, well, for lack of a better term. And, and we're talking about the, not one thing, not just, hey, you need to have more people sticking their nose in your business. We need to change your business. Yes. Yeah. We need to restructure this whole approach to what policing means, policing does. I think that I would like to think that police, certain police individuals would welcome a restructuring where they are focused on specific duties and other duties go to people who are more specially trained to do them. Yes, I said duty several times. <laughs> But you did that instead of being this catch all for all of mm -hmm. society's problems, yes, where they are overwhelmed, having very strategic plans mm -hmm. of attack of how to deal with different problems in society would make their lives easier. Mm -hmm. And incorporating that then would give an opportunity to say get rid of I, I don't want to say bad apples because that's such an overused term but get rid of the problematic areas within the police force so it would be more effective mm -hmm. and I think changing that culture from from the 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 going into into the society in an adversarial approach to going into it as more of a you know we're here to serve the citizenry my mindset. I mean, it's it's several parts here that have to happen kind of together. Yeah, I agree. So, I'm glad we're all in agreement. Yeah. Here's to us solving the world's problems. Cheers. Cheers. Listening to Civics on the Rocks, a once a month podcast featuring a real engineer going by the fake name of Steve, a real history teacher going by the fake name of Mac, and a fake producer going by the real name of Ann Schminsky. That's me. The guys drop a lot of references while they talk. We've tried to document them all in order of appearance on our website at civicsontherocks.podbean.com. We're also Civics on the Rocks on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads if you want to suggest a question of the day, or cocktail recipes, or different types of media you think we should check out. Whatever. Please drop by. We may also have an account on the platform formerly known as Twitter, but it's hard to tell these days. If you didn't like our podcast, well, I doubt you're still listening, but if you are, thanks for giving it a go. We know we're not everybody's glass of iced tea. If you did like our show, please follow, review, and share. And stay tuned for our next episode next month. Until then, cheers, y'all. <laughs>